This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, Hello, everyone. You are listening to Evidence for Faith. This is the Christian Apologetics radio show that helps uh, Christians become thinkers and thinkers become Christians. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis, and Keith Kendricks, my partner, could not be with us today. So in in the studio today, we have uh, special guests, Pastor George and Pastor Barbara Sanders from Babcock Community Church in Belkoville. Their church is uh, on Route 50, just south of Mays Landing. And um, George and Barbara, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Michael. Good to see you. I'm so happy you could be here on uh, Palm Sunday, arguably the most uh, important week uh, in the Christian calendar. Before we start talking about miracles, I would like to uh, let our guests uh, know, our, our listening guest audience know, that you can call us and jump into the discussion at 398-1020. Or if you have a more general question, you can always email us at evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence in the number four, faith.com. You can listen to part one of Miracles on the uh, website, evidenceforfaith.com, just by downloading the audio file of last week's uh, show. Of course, that's free of charge. In fact, all 70 of the previously recorded shows are there. Uh, I'd like to mention that this show is supported in part by Grace Community Church of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Winslow Township. You can visit them on the web at aplaceforgrace.org. And if your church, group, or business likes what we're doing and you would like to help support this ministry, please visit our website, evidenceforfaith.com, and we'll get back to you. So George and Barbara, tell us about uh, what's happening at Babcock Community Church. Tell us where you are and uh, what's happening. Well, as you said, Michael, we're in uh, we're in Mays Landing or Belcoville, right on Route 50. Uh, we've been out there in Mays Landing for about 11 and a half years since we planted the church. Uh, we're excited about what God's doing. We're excited about where He's leading us. Uh, things are always growing. Things are always changing. Uh, still looking forward to uh, building our own building. We have property on Babcock Road in Mays Landing, which uh, leads us to the name Babcock Community Church. Um, but things are always exciting there. We're uh, just this next week. We're starting a youth group for our young people, and they're very excited about that. Uh, looking forward to seeing what God does with the junior high and the high school age. Um, some new things happening. We're having our first ever men's conference, uh, April thirtieth, May first, where we're having uh, probably seven or eight different churches coming together. The pastors and the men of those churches. Uh, Dr. Earl Johnson coming in from Los Angeles, California to minister to the men. We're very excited about that. Uh, other exciting things. What else? If, if other churches are interested in, in joining that group, George, is there a, a contact number, person, and so forth? They, yeah, they can go to the website, babcockcommunitychurch.com, and right there you can download the information. Uh, the flyer for the men's conference. There's contact information there. There's phone numbers, email addresses, everything you need right there mm-hmm. to, to reach me directly. Um, we are hoping that men from other churches would want to gather around this and be a part of what 
what God's bringing together. It's not any denomination. It's not any specific group of churches. It's just men who are hungry after the Spirit of God and coming together to, to seek Him for a couple of days together. Okay, that's uh, that's awesome. And what was the date of that, uh, George, again? April 30th, Friday night, and May 1st, all day Saturday. That's excellent. Okay, great. Barbara? And I think we ought to mention the name of the conference. The theme and the title of it is Embracing the Truth. Mm. That's uh, very timely in this day and age when uh, truth is something that uh, we all desire, uh, especially in the political arena. Mm. Um, truth is something that's hard to come by, and of course, truth today is relative. It's not absolute. Um, but I know that the truth that you guys will be extolling will be absolute truth and not something that's uh, relatively good for you or me, but it's good for all. Good for all. So, but anyway, <laughs> today we're going to be talking a little bit about miracles, and um, we started last week, uh, George and Barb, I know you weren't here, it was uh, Keith Kendricks and I were, were doing that, and being an apologetics uh, program, we're trying to uh, give people uh, the substance for which they can actually help to put together a rational defense of Christianity. More specifically, uh, this would be the systematic formulation and winsome presentation and, a and to make a rational case for Christ's uh, existence, the Christian worldview, and obviously the Christian lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the three things that we um, hold as foundational principles uh, in this endeavor are, number one, that God exists, number two, that the Bible is God's written word, and that Jesus Christ is God's Son, and obviously in this this week, uh, we recognize him as the sacrificial lamb of God, giving Amen. us the remedy mm. for right. uh, the problems that plague humankind, not just mankind, but all people, mm -hmm. uh, all races, all tongues, all tribes, all people, uh, people from all of the various 300 or so religions that surround the world. So with that in mind, what we're going to do today is talk about um, miracles, and I thought that it would be appropriate if we started the conversation just by talking about Christ's first miracle, and that would be the uh, the wedding at Cana, when they were uh, running out of wine, and um, Mary herself suggested to Jesus that uh, he remedy the situation, and, and tell us what happened next, either one of you guys. Well, yeah, Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, says to him, you know, they have no more wine. And his response is interesting. Um, it's kind of a, from the spot of saying, well, and? You know, and he, so he kind of looks at his mom and he says, well, you know, it's, this is really not my time. But I believe, uh, as many of us do, that she was inspired to come to him and say, okay, well, what to do? But the best part of that miracle, I think, is what she says next, because she turns to the servants and she looks to them and she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. You know, so if there's ever any advice that we're going to take, um, Mary's advice to that group is something we can live with. Mm -hmm. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, as the story goes, he uh, we're, we can read it out of John chapter 2, but he says to the, uh, the servants, he, well, he says, fill the water pots. And there was these six water pots that were standing nearby, probably 30 gallons each. They used them for washing and whatnot. But they're just big clay pots. And he says, fill them with water. And so they fill them with water. And he says, now, just you know, draw some out of the first pot and take it to the master of the feast. And, of course, we know it was you know, top premium wine, the best wine they'd had for the whole maybe three- or four-day feast. And the wine master is a little bit astounded that the good wine has been saved for last. 
you know, because normally you would bring out the cheap stuff near the end. But we know that the father doesn't have cheap stuff. So he's only got the good wine. And so the good wine was brought out last. And, of course, the, the, the feast was saved. The, uh, the integrity of the family was, was saved. But there's so much more to that um, from just a, a teaching standpoint of what it all means. Teach to... me, Pastor. <laughs> tell me what you see in there, Barbara. I'll tell you what it, it speaks um, loudly is the power and the glory and the deity of Jesus Christ. The miracle of the water being turned into wine was not for itself only, but it was a demonstration of God's power, and it was for the, all that were attending there to see who Jesus really was and that he had power from God. Mm. In fact, he was endued with power by the Holy Spirit after he was baptized at the Jordan by John the Baptist. And that's when he began his miracle and teaching ministry. See, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We all have to be born again. And then we need to be endued with power so that we can continue the miracle working, teaching ministry that Jesus started. Because it's our position as the church to manifest the glory of God and to reconcile man back to God. Mm. You know, George, I wanted to ask you, you said they were clay pots that were roughly maybe 30 uh, gallons. Uh, it's a huge, huge pot. But more than that, there, there's a little symbolism there in the clay, and of course yeah. the water was for ceremonial washing and mm-hmm. so forth. That was like Old Covenant stuff, and the New Covenant right here on the spot mm-hmm. is starting to be ushered in, and there's so much symbolism in all of this. Tell, tell the listening audience what, you're, what we're talking about here. Well, the symbolism we see there is that, of course, the clay pot, and later on in his teachings, Paul says that we are jars of clay. We're vessels mm. of clay, mm. uh, which we are, of course, being made from the dust of the earth. We are vessels of clay, but we carry the glory of God. What I see in that, though, is Jesus spoke to them and said, fill them with water. And in Scripture, often water refers to the Word of God. And so it's not with the cleansing, you know, being washed by the water of the Word, renew your mind by the water of the Word. So I see the pots being filled, or the ourselves being filled with the Word. But then something happens once we're filled with the Word, the Spirit comes, and it's the power of the Spirit that engages that and changes that, and we become now flowing with new wine, which is what Jesus brought forth there. And that's where I see the symbolism going. It's they did what they were told. They were obedient to his word. They filled up with the water. They filled up with the word. But then from there, they allowed the power of the Spirit to come and engage. And then we see that should be our lives as believers, mm-hmm. that you know, we're being, we fill ourselves. We should be in the word. We should be studying and reading, but then allowing the Spirit of God to come and make that transformation within us so that we flow with the new wine. And what about the washing part of that, Barbara? Well, the washing is... Um, and that's typical of the Old Testament again. When the priest uh, wanted to go into the Holy of Holies, they had to wash and get clean, which is the same thing. It's a type of what happens when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. With his blood, we are washed clean, and that's what the New Testament covenant has for us. Uh, we no longer have to live by the letter of the law. Uh, we no longer have to try uh, to do uh, good works 
but we need to be washed by the blood of Jesus, forgiven of our sins, and then walk in faith that will help us fulfill the letters of the law. Because it works by love. Mm. I find it interesting that it's a clay pot, and of course the letter of the law was initially inscribed on clay tablets. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's how one hoped to gain access to God in years Mm -hmm. gone by, prior to the new covenant being ushered Mm -hmm. in by Jesus' public ministry. And of course the washing part was all water and it was all ceremonial, as opposed to what it is now, and that's being washed by the blood of the Lamb. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's just such a, a remarkable miracle that this would be the first one that would be ushering in his public mm. ministry, and then if you <coughs> fast forward to the end, it was clearly his blood that was shed for you and I, and that was the completion of the uh, the new covenant. Uh, so it's a, a very interesting uh, first miracle, and uh, of course, you know, you can look at the Alpha and the Omega, the first miracle, and then the last miracle of Jesus's uh, ministry, is his public ministry, was his resurrection. Mm-hmm. But that was really just the beginning, wasn't it? Yes, it you know? was. It really so was. it's uh, it's a, a timely uh, thing to talk about, especially mm-hmm. this uh, week in between Palm Sunday uh, and Easter. But anyway, um, the the real question is today: you know, do miracles exist? Number one, and you know, depending on which side of the um, faith argument you stand. You know, if you believe in God, it's easily um, uh, applicable in your own mind or rational thought process that you would believe in miracles and that God is still in the business of doing miracles. But if you're not part of that um, mindset, it's very, very difficult indeed to uh, look at miracles as being real, because even myself, before I became a believer in 1996, my religion was science and medicine. Mm-hmm. I could ex- explain all that away. In mm-hmm. fact, I would right. look at things and say, "No, that's you know, that's not a miracle. It's 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 X, Y, and Z. You know, these are the principles in science, and this is how we would explain it, and mm-hmm. so forth." But there are times that we really can't, from a right. science and medicine perspective, explain what's going on. So, George, in your own uh, mind, tell us about what you think uh, is a miracle in today's modern world, and um, share one with us if you can. A miracle. You know, I when you think of miracles, scripturally there are so many um, mm-hmm. examples that we can find from mm-hmm. Genesis all the way through. Um, but and they they seem to change with you know, the purpose of God, um, whether it's the parting of the Red Sea, which. Um, you know, and I went and I was in college, and I I heard all the stories, all the ways that you can explain away the parting of the Red Sea, and you know, it's how big of a miracle is it if maybe the water was really low that year and it was only a foot <laughs> deep, and then you know, they walked through on that, and I said, well, then it's an awesome miracle because the whole you know Egyptian army drowned in a foot of water, <laughs> but um, but like you said, there's always someone trying to explain them away, mm-hmm. but there's always. The, the fulfillment of the miracle is in the heart of those that believe. When they see the miracle, then they can respond to the miracle in faith and say, I believe that is the hand of God moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a friend, uh, a cl- very, very close friend, a gentleman's on our, on our church board, where his, um, his wife's little brother, when they were much younger in the faith, had fallen face first into a fish pond, and he had stopped breathing. He was, he was uh, basically dead. And um, they, were, they were new believers, and 
they just knew what the word of God said, and, and they they pulled him out of the water, and he was like purple and not breathing, and and they just laid hands on him. And they said, "Well, in the name of Jesus, you know, he'll come back to life." And the young man came back to life, and he lives to tell that story himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he and he tells it often, but now so these type of miracles they still do happen, and that, to them that believe these you know these signs will follow. Um, and there's, but there's always different ministries throughout the world that are walking in more miraculous things than others. We know of a ministry in Mozambique, <clears throat> Heidi and Roland Baker. They, they are in such a place where they are in Mozambique that they, they survive by the very miracle hand of God, helping them day by day. And, you know, whether it be, you know, feed, <coughs> feeding thousands with the provisions for 20 or, uh, you know, flying their plane without gas because they have to get somewhere. But, these are the things we're seeing in a in a modern day society of miracles happening and God's hand moving. You know, on a personal note, we've experienced some mm-hmm. miracles that we believe in our family, and the Bible says that all things are possible for those who believe. Mm-hmm. And um, in many uh, cases, even Jesus was saying, "You know, your faith has made you whole." Mm-hmm. Um, so, the to believe in God that he can do miracles is so important to the people that don't even know God. They need to understand that God is love and he wants to perform miracles when necessary. They're also a great sign to people that God is going to impose, and uh, the word is, um, I guess you would say, uh, jump into somebody's life and change things up. Mm-hmm. And when our... our uh, <coughs> My father had um, terminal cancer, mm. and the doctors told us that he probably only had three months to live at the most, and that it was not worth operating on, or that it would not be possible for him to survive. And we believed that a miracle would happen, and that there would be possibility for my God to heal him or deliver him from this disease. And that was back in 1994, and my dad's going to be 90 years old. uh, That's amazing. April, in April, and God came through with Mm. a miracle, and it was the first sign, I am sure, to our family that He is with us, that He is still doing miracles, and it was for a sign for many in our community Mm -hmm. that God is still on the throne and that Jesus is alive and well. Yeah, one one of the miracles that I like to uh, uh, make reference to in my own personal life, one of my very good friends and a neighbor, uh, a believing brother, he and his wife are down in the uh, the islands, um, down in the Caribbean. I can't remember which island it was, about 10 years ago. And he was on a paddle boat, and he was swept up in a riptide, and he was on his way to Great Britain. And he paddled, he, he was pushing the pedals as fast as he could, and he actually had a stroke. Uh, doing that because his blood pressure must have gotten so high. Uh, but he eventually made it back to shore. He couldn't walk and he couldn't speak. And his wife had him taken to the local infirmary. And they said, yes, indeed, he had a stroke, and they wanted to put him in the hospital. And she said, no way, I want the f- uh, the first flight back home. And so uh, as soon as they landed at the Philly International Airport, she called me. And she said, Mike, wh- wh- where should I take him? And I said, take him right to Cooper, you know, or, well, Cooper seemed to be the right fit for them because it would be close for family and friends, and, you know, it was just on the other side of the river from Philadelphia. So he went to Cooper, and within a three-month time frame, he had totally recovered. The initial 
um, uh, arteriogram of his carotid arteries uh, when he was admitted to Cooper showed that he had a rent in the right carotid artery, which then produced the stroke, you know, the clot and so forth. Mm. And when they did the repeat <clears throat> scan um, three months later, completely resolved. Now, he, he must have had 100 churches worldwide praying mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. And even his, the chairman of neurology uh, at Cooper could not explain how that happened. Mm-hmm. And he started to witness to the chairman of neurology how it happened and why it happened. And that his God is mm-hmm. is still sitting on the throne, yes. so I like to make reference to that because uh, I I still can't explain it otherwise other than God's hand of intervention, right. yes. and this guy is made whole and he's still a wonderful witness, you Amen. know. And, so and we should be yeah we and we should be believing for things like that. We had a a similar experience we went through in ninety in uh, two thousand three when our daughter had a serious car accident and as you remember mm-hmm. Michael and uh, mm-hmm. um, expect her to live. Right. You know, we didn't find out until a couple months later that the night of her accident, when the nurses sent us home to go get some rest, they told <coughs> us, we found out later they sent us home so that we wouldn't be there when she died. Um, but we saw the Lord do so many miracles, and it was beyond healing because uh, there was you know, a, punct- she had a, a puncture and her, her bladder was punctured. Well, the doctor went in the next day to do exploratory surgery, and he couldn't find the hole. And he told us. In fact, the doctor's words were, it's miraculously, it's, cl- it's closed up. I can't find the hole, but it was there. And her then the lung. next day, the, her punctured lung healed itself. Mm. And then, um, you know, the, the, another day, you know, she'd had this uh, head injury, a subarachnoid hematoma, and the, the doctor came in the next day, and he says, I can't even see sign of this. This is really been So we were seeing this, but again, like you said, hundreds and thousands of people uh, nationwide, worldwide praying and, and asking for God to come and move, you know, by his miraculous hand. And we've seen it. And uh, But if we can just fast forward seven years now, mm. she has gone on to make you guys grandparents. grandparents. And she brought into this life the miracle of life Amen. when, in fact, she had pelvic fractures and yes. femoral fractures and all mm. kinds of... The lady should have never walked again, let alone being a full-time mom and yes. and so forth, so forth. So glory to God. Glory. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, uh, in fact, I I love to tell people. Um, you know, recently, about three weeks ago, I went to the uh, Franklin Institute to see the 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 body um, miracle, the 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 body mm-hmm. dis- display where they peel off the skin and you see all the muscle groups and all the organs and so forth. And I'm looking at this thing. It took me two and a half hours to go through. My wife and kids and family had already gone through in two hours. They couldn't wait to get out of there. But I'm watching chapters of anatomy unfold as I'm walking through this display. And it was taking me back to medical school, just months at a time, just being folded over, you know, chapter after chapter. And I'm thinking to myself, this truly is a marvel. Mm. You know, there's no way that this thing evolved. This was designed clearly with a purpose in mind. And, you know, when you put together all of the systems, you know, whether it's the the pulmonary system, the GI system, the, the cardiovascular system, uh, the digestive system, and, and you know, goes on and on and on. How how the body gets rid of waste, and, and it's just not you know the defecation process. Right. It's it's liver purification. The spleen is purifying the blood, and and it just goes on and on. And and the the last frontier, okay, in medicine, in explaining the human body away, you know, because it's mm-hmm. a miracle. And science, science and medicine has a tendency to explain these things away. Last frontier is the human mind. Mm-hmm. You know what their best explanation is right now. Glorified matter. Yeah. <laughs> now, isn't that an interesting phrase? Glorified yeah. matter. Yeah, it is. It is it glorious. Is Amen. And it yeah. is. And there's no way they're, they're not going to be able to explain the thought process, right. the emotions, 
uh, the feelings and so forth that, that make us distinctly human yes. and that made really our uh, Savior distinctly human. Yes. Okay, Amen. Both God and man, but uh, yeah, he had all the emotions. Uh, he grieved for Jerusalem. He wept. He wept yes, for, he for Lazarus. Yes. You know, so, and in fact, there there's a miracle we should probably talk about, you know. Yep. Mm. We, we were for, talking about that on the way on yeah. the way here today, yeah. He, uh, yeah, of course, tell us the story about behind Lazarus and how that actually foreshadowed Christ's own resurrection, so to speak. Well, the story of the of raising Lazarus is one that, I mean, I love the story, but I love the Bible stories, and that's just... Um, I love to tell them. I love to sit and think about them. We talk about them at home, but I like this one because it shows um, it shows Jesus as as one who is totally submitted to the will of his Father. And, and I say that because you know Lazarus is taken very very sick, and they send notice to Jesus, um, however long that took. But they get, you know, they, they weren't texting, but they, they <laughs> did get, you know, they sent him information. They said, you know, your, your good friend, your very mm-hmm. good friend Lazarus is sick. And so his disciples that are with him are like, oh, all right, man, we're going to go. And they didn't go because the father hadn't told Jesus to go. And he said, I only say what I hear the father saying. I only do what I see the father doing. He wasn't told to go. Mm-hmm. Someone came and told him Lazarus was sick, but he wasn't told to go. He says, he'll be all right. Hmm. So then, you know, four days later, you know, they decide to go. And when they get there, you know, they, they find out that he's, you know, he's dead. And then he says, no, nah, he's sleeping. We'll just wake him up. And then he, he gets to the tomb. He talks to both of the sisters who both say the same thing. And this is a lot of times the, the response of the believers. Oh, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And it was probably a true statement. But Jesus had such a, so much a bigger plan. The Father had a bigger plan than just, a, you know, not to say just another healing, but we weren't going to do another healing. We we're going to do a resurrection. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said earlier, getting, getting people's mindsets ready for what was coming. And so he just, you know, spoke forth. You know, he gets to the tomb. He says, roll away the stone. They're concerned about the odor. But he says, you know what, Lazarus, come forth. But he says it with such power and such authority that there's nothing that could have kept Lazarus in that tomb once the Lord spoke the word. You know, and so out he comes. And the Lord just says, take off the grave clothes. And this, you know, this guy's got to get free. But he was a friend of Lazarus. And, and like Mike was saying, he, he had emotions. And it, uh, you could see in the scripture where in his spirit he groaned mm-hmm. with the passing of Lazarus. And... Uh, Another, an, there's many places where you see the emotions of Jesus. And I believe um, Pastor George was talking about it this morning when he was riding in uh, on the donkey at the triumphal entry. And he was looking at the thousands of people on the hillsides yelling, Hosanna. And he was realizing that they were calling upon him as the Messiah, how joyful he must have felt. And yet he knew within the next few days Mm. they were going to be yelling, crucify him. Mm. And yet the love that he had, the love that God had for his people shown through Jesus Mm. was so real that when he went to the cross, he even said to the 
Father, forgive them, Lord, for they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. He even said that he was going to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He was seeing the multitudes that would come to him for life eternal. He was seeing that, and he was feeling joy. Mm, It says that he rejoices over us, Mm. and he sings over us, and he dances over us. We love to worship God at our church, and we just, we spend a good 25 minutes sometime in our services just going before the throne with songs and hymns and melodies of the heart. And it says in Zephaniah that he rejoices over us as we rejoice over him. Amen. You are listening to Evidence for Faith. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Arrakis, and in, in with me in the studio today are Pastors George and Barbara Sanders. We're talking about miracles. If you want to jump into the uh, conversation, please call us at uh, 398-1020. Um, uh, the phone lines are open. So anyway, George, Barbara, we're talking about miracles, right. and one of the one of the evidences that we can use, not only from a faith perspective, uh, is miracles, but also um, leading somebody to the rational thought process that, yes, there is, in fact, a God, mm. and our God is still uh, active uh, today. Mm. Uh, so what we try to do is let them know that miracles are still happening just by sharing our little testimonies. Uh, we just shared mm-hmm. that. I think each and every one of us just gave a little... Um, um, I don't want to say a, a pet miracle, but something that we've all experienced firsthand very personally, uh, why we believe that miracles are still uh, happening and uh, why these miracles are actually pretty much the basis for some of us to believe in God and use them as a stepping stone for people to take that reasonable um, step of faith. Mm. So I believe that miracles can be used as an explanation for God's uh, existence. One of the one of the problems that we have, though, and I know that there are probably some um, educated secular individuals out there who have a scientific background, like I myself have, who feel that uh, miracles don't happen; that science can explain them. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I'm going to use the word anomaly because they'll use the word anomaly to explain away a miracle. Uh, nomos in Greek would mean law. Mm-hmm. A nomos meaning against the law or not following the law. Okay, so they'll say that, well, we explain science with laws, but mm-hmm. okay, yeah, maybe this might be a little bit outside of the the natural order, and we can't quite put our fingers on which law it might follow, or we haven't discovered that law yet. But it's outside of the realm of scientific reasoning for now. But we'll call it an anomaly and put it on the back burner. Okay, but it's not a miracle. We will someday have the explanation to explain this thing away. And that's one of the problems that we get into with the secular world because their children, our own children, are being brought up in secular schools, the public school system, the university setting where there is no room for God and therefore there is no room for miracles. How do we counteract that? That's a tough thing. It is a tough thing. I think it begins at home, of course. I mean, especially when you talk about children and Mm -hmm. people going on and, you know, the parents that are listening. It it is the responsibility of the parent, um, you know, and— to teach their children about the miraculous power of God and to teach the children who God is. And we may have to go as far as to teach the children what they might learn and then why that, why that what we believe overshadows that. And, you know, a lot of it, you know, if, if you're in a good church and they have a good children's program, your children are probably learning about miracles and about God. But that's just, we believe that should be supplemental mm. to what 
the parents are teaching at home and what the parents are living. See, if, if you're a believer and you're really living the life, you're walking a life of miraculous joy. You're walking a, a life of miraculous provision or healing, or it's just part of your nature. And we had discussed early before the show that you know, they use the word anomaly, which basically means we can't figure it out, but, you know, give me, give me, give me a moment, I might. Or it really means, I think, that's a miracle, but I'm not going to call it that. Exactly. <laughs> and as we had said before the show, I believe that in the kingdom of God, there is, miracles are not an anomaly at all. Mm-hmm. It's really the heart, character, and nature of God. So how do we counter, counteract it is we get to a place where our children are learning and living that life where it's not an anomaly. It's a miracle of God. And why does he do that? Well, he loves us. And it was necessary. And the one thing we spoke about at home before we came is, you know, the the axe head that floats. The axe head that floats, and that's, I believe, in Second Kings, and it's uh, Elisha, the prophet, is there. And a guy's chopping wood, and the axe head flies off, and it sinks in the little creek. And he's like, oh, my gosh, that was borrowed. So the prophet breaks off a stick, throws it in the water, and the axe head floats to the surface. He says, go ahead, pull it out. Now, that's a miracle. That's not an anomaly. You're not explaining that one later. That's a miracle. Yeah, it flies against the law of uh, gravity. Yeah, completely. (laughs) But in that, and you say, well, why is that in the Bible? Why why would God do that? It's not like the parting of the Red Sea where millions cross. It's... It's not the resurrection of Lazarus that was going to bring hundreds to faith. But it's because God so much cares for everybody that, you know, here's this guy. He loses his buddy's axe head. God cares enough to do, to not just find him another axe head, but to go into that realm of beyond natural, physical things, to break every law of nature, because, I mean, God is nature, to, to float that axe head for the retrieval. So God created all the laws of nature, and he can bend them if he wants to. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead, Barbara. Uh, you know what I was, uh, as you were talking, George and Mike, about um, the worldview today, mm. that miracles mm. can be explained away or they don't exist or something. I believe that as uh, history begins to continue to unwind, mm. that there will be a time when people were going to need miracles more than ever. And I believe that even in the last decade, we have seen catastrophe hit different nations. And we have heard of miracles happening in those instances. Uh, We've seen uh, horrendous uh, earthquakes happen. We've seen, um, of course, floods. We've seen tsunamis. And uh, if you're connected to the church of Jesus Christ, you begin to hear about the miracles that are happening to the believers that are in the middle of these catastrophes. Mm. And I believe that as the end of the age begins to wind down, that there's this battle that is raging between, we'll say, good and evil, where we are going to see more miracles happen that will be signposts to the world call upon the name of the lord and you shall be saved Mm. you know it's interesting george as you were talking about uh, how walking the faith and living the faith starts at home and that's how our children have to learn 
uh, one of the things that I do with every kid that I know that graduates, and I give them a graduation card and a graduation gift, I write in there Psalm 78, the first 10 verses, and I also co-sign it with uh, uh, the thing that Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young left our generation, teach your children well. Okay, if I can just paraphrase Psalm uh, 78, uh, and it talks about the wondrous deeds of our Lord. O oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter hidden things, things from old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, the power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, Mm. and they in turn would tell their children, and they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God. So, but it's it's a very interesting thing because this this struggle between the generations and the forefathers and what God has done, mm. you know, it, it's amazing. I mean, all you got to do is look at kings. You know, the history of the mm. Israeli kings and right. how one did uh, evil in the eyes of God and and the others did good in the eyes of God. Um, it's it's just one of those things, and it's sad. But you know, as much as we try to teach our children, they can be corrupted by the world and its teaching so easily and so easily swayed. It's a very difficult thing to uh, to get mm-hmm. by. Mm-hmm. One of the controversies that we've talked about relative to miracles, though, is science's ability to explain away the creation of man and the creation mm-hmm. of life itself. Right. And uh, one of the arguments that I love to use uh, in my uh, discussing evolution, and we can go back to the word anomaly, mm-hmm. okay, about going against the law or the laws of nature, the laws of mm-hmm. God, if you will. You know, if you do believe in evolution, and this is for the scientific audience that might be out there listening, if you do believe in evolution, you have to believe in um, uh, spontaneous generation. Right. Out of nothing, you create something, okay? Spontaneous generation was disproven back in the 1830s by Louis Pasteur. Um, so in order to have something uh, live, you have to have uh, something before it from a genetic mm-hmm. perspective. Right. Okay, and that's the law of biogenesis. So uh, spontaneous generation violates the law of biogenesis, and it violates the um, 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 also uh, the, the, the second law of thermodynamics, too. We can get into that if you want to, but I'm not going to. It, it just life created from the primordial scum or the primordial soup violates a whole bunch of laws it's it's more than an an anomaly it would you'd have to believe in a major major miracle to believe in evolution and the miracle did happen god said it happened right in genesis right god created man out of the dust of the earth you know the and you know when you look at the periodic table every one of those elements on the periodic table is in the crust or the mantle of the earth and Mm -hmm. god scraped them together and put together adam you know and then and then the second major miracle i call it in life is that he took Adam's rib, and this is right out of Genesis 2, 21 and 22. Forget the rib. What was in the rib? Stem cells. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Mm-hmm. He did the first cloning experiment right on the spot. He put Adam in a deep sleep. That's anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Took his rib. That's surgery. Yeah. And then he did a stem cell uh, um, creation thing and, and created a perfect woman that was perfect from a sexual reproduction perspective for Adam to uh, mate with. Right. Okay? Amen. 
Science has yet to, to explain uh, sexual reproduction amongst mammals. They can't explain it. It's an anomaly. I think I read someplace two by two they came, right? right. Yeah, so it's already been explained in another book. You know, yeah. Greatest book ever written. Somebody's got it figured out, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's what I had, had to say about anomalies. Um, but anyway, that's my little, my little scientific uh, soap opera. Soapbox. You are listening to Evidence for Faith. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis, and with me in the studio today are George and Barbara Sanders from Babcock Community Church. We would invite you to jump into the uh, conversation. You can call us at the station, 398-1020. So anyway, we're talking about miracles and how God is still in the business of miracles. And I think what I'd like to do is have you guys give us some of what you feel are the strongest historical evidences of Jesus's life and Jesus's resurrection, and if you want to, you can sort you can quote sources outside of the Bible, because a lot of people in the secular world would say, well, you know, the Bible's been rewritten and retranslated, and you know, things have been added, and you know, of course, they may not know about the Dead Sea Scrolls and how they've confirmed that nothing was rewritten or added, mm-hmm. but the point is, is that if you have historical evidences of Christ's uh, uh, public ministry and or his mm-hmm. crucifixion and death. Outside of the Bible, I think that that would be welcome uh, information as well. I can't say that I have um, these type of historical references outside of the Bible. There are, I mean, they're out there. There's, there's different writings, writings of Josephus sure, and correct. others. However, there isn't, I don't believe there is a writing that so powerfully captures the the miracle of the resurrection as the word of god itself mm-hmm. um, as written by eyewitnesses who were there mm-hmm. you know the and, or those that uh, like luke who just did some really excellent research and then went and talked to some people who were there but when you read you know matthew's writings or john's writings uh, particularly john who, who we discussed this morning who was the only disciple who was at the foot of the cross mm. you know along with you know Along with all the Marys, and but there he was, and later, you know, at at the end of his life, he writes the story. You know, John wrote the Gospel of John was the last gospel written, uh, one of the very last books of the Bible written. Uh, he was probably in his late 80s, early 90s, remembering the reflections of a 21, 22 year old young man who walked with Jesus, and at that point in his life, reflecting on what was important. I mean, he'd really had a lot of years to see what was important and his reflection of the resurrection. I don't know that we need too much outside of it. And as far as the like, proof, to me it's always been the proof is what Jesus has done for me, where he's taken me from. And, you know, I, I myself or others who have embraced you know, the love of Jesus and embraced his resurrection power in our lives. We're living proof that Jesus is who he said he is. We're living proof of the resurrection. And I think anyone who knows a believer who's really living the life that God's mm-hmm. given him has to say, you know what? Okay, I see it. They're I different. S- I see the evidence. They're changed. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like your, your show, Evidence for Faith. It, what's the evidence? What do I see in this person's life? What do I see in someone who is is just walking in victory, walking in joy, just living a totally different life than we see most other people whose response to everything is, is, yeah, no hope. You know, hey, how you doing? Oh, same old, same old. Really? <laughs> let, me, let me help you with that. Let me introduce you to someone who can 
change your life from same old, same old to brand new, brand new every day. And uh, we just had that experience at the store recently, just today. So a friend, how you doing? Oh, you know, same old, same old. No victory. But you can see that. But to me, that's an evidence. That's evidence of somebody really, if you want to know what Jesus raised from the dead, go find somebody who's embraced that truth. Go find someone who has risen from the dead spiritually hmm. and knows it. You know, go, and if you really want to grab a hold, go grab a hold of someone that has been like, you know, dramatically delivered from drugs or alcohol. Uh, they can't stop telling you what, what Jesus has done for them or, or from a sexual addiction or, or from or whose horrendous marriage has been completely restored and rejuvenated by the power of God in their lives. They'll tell you that Jesus is alive. It's interesting that you brought up the, uh, the drug and alcohol addiction problem because whenever I encounter somebody who's enslaved to drugs or alcohol or gambling, you pick the addiction, it doesn't matter. I will tell them that there is no way that they will ever be healed, cured, delivered, unless they know the creator of the universe and know the power of God and the power of Christ in their own life. Not the tree or the rock that they pick as their higher-powered source in the backyard. It's only through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that their life can truly be transformed and brought back to life again. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are many, many uh, stories of people who have been transformed and, and transfigured and resurrected, truly, from being the walking dead into the living creatures <coughs> that they are, new creatures in, uh, in Christ. And I was just wanted to say one thing. You brought up, just because this is a, like a pet thing of mine, because you brought out the... Uh, People saying that you know the the Bible written by men and you know retranslated and reproduced and so exaggerated and stretched that anybody who really believes that should probably get a really good book on Bible history. I teach Bible history at the college level, and it's you really it's an amazing story, and, and it's a it's and that's a miracle in itself that the Word of God that we have today is in such such tremendous original shape. In fact, in, in literary standards, it's almost impossible that it's been preserved the way it's been preserved, yet it continues down through the ages. And, of course, the Dead Sea Scrolls came along just in time to really prove out a lot of naysayers, but it's a great study for anyone who has that mindset. They could just read one simple book on Bible history, and they'll probably be set free. Hmm. Well, you know, let's let's spend the last 10 minutes of the show on um, the reason for Christ's ministry, the reason for Christ's death, the resurrection, and really what the, the the human condition is that required Christ to be who he was, that is the sacrificial lamb of God. So what is the human condition? What's the problem with, with us as human beings? Why do we need the remedy that only Jesus can offer? Well, the Bible says all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Barbara, I'm not a sinner. Can you can you explain that to me? Sure. Why do you think I'm a sinner? It happened a long time ago. <laughs> God made Adam and Eve, and He put them in the garden. Mm-hmm. And God had a plan for their lives. And as it turned out, uh, they were tempted. Did not you say they were? They were. <laughs> George and I are having a <laughs> discussion were. about this. Okay, she was. <laughs> Eve was tempted. Eve was was tempted by the devil uh, to doubt God, Mm -hmm. and uh, she was deceived. Surely you won't die. I believe that was what the devil said. God told uh, Adam not to 
eat of one tree of the, in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, the devil came to Eve and said to her, did God really, God say, really that? say that you would die? You know, And he, he sowed a seed of doubt, and she bought it. Mm. And she was deceived in thinking that God didn't love her and that maybe he was withholding, he was withholding something yeah. good mm-hmm. from her, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is what the enemy of God, Satan himself, will do to people. Mm-hmm. And she was deceived, and Adam uh, deliberately yeah. was... <laughs> Adam Going was along deceived. with her, he, he was disobedient. He was he, disobedient. Yeah, he was standing right next to her, wasn't he? Yes, amen. And if he had, he had smacked her in the head, say, "Yo, don't do that." We don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, they disobeyed God. <clears throat> they mm-hmm. fell from their place, their mm-hmm. position. And from that time forward, death and disease and infirmity and and every other thing known to yes. man has crept mm-hmm. into the lives of man. And Women, yeah. of course, uh, the human genome has been. Um, 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 in decay since that time, and of course we know that all disease uh, comes from uh, genetic uh, uh, anomalies that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we call them mutations, but the evolutionists will tell you that mutations are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find no truth in that. Right. All yeah. disease and defect mm-hmm. uh, comes from uh, DNA that's uh, been broken or damaged. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, so we have this problem of, of, of death. Yes. And disease and infirmity. Yeah. Adam and, and Eve were, were supposed to live forever. And sin. Um, be more specific. T- tell me what sin is. Sin is, the word sin is a uh, actually an archery term. If you're familiar, if people are familiar with archery, bows, arrows, uh, targets. Hmm. Uh, the little red dot in the middle of the target we call the bullseye. Uh, the word sin is a term for when you shoot at the bullseye and you miss it by just a hair. It's called you're, missing the mark. You're off target. You're off target. Mm-hmm. The mark in our lives, that's why we can we say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. People say, well, I never murdered anybody. And I always say, have you ever taken a pencil from work? <laughs> because in the eyes of God, they're equal sins. Because mm-hmm. all because you've missed the mark. What's the mark? The mark is the center of that target that says, I am walking fully in the will of God for my life. Was it the will of God for you to steal somebody's pencil? No. Okay, you missed the mark. Was it God's will for you to murder somebody? No. Okay, you've missed the mark. See how they all sound the same? <laughs> and road rage is just as bad road as murder. Road rage. You know, um, somebody said, told me the other day, you know, if, if there's a place at the grocery store to put the cart back, you're supposed to. That's just a conviction. But, you know, I'm, but yeah, road rage. It's, it's a sin. Anything that you're doing in your life that you know, and believe me, we do know because the laws are written on our heart, that we know is not the will of God, we're missing the mark. Because the mark is to walk in the will of God. Because he's our creator, and he has a plan for our lives that we're supposed to be following. The, the actual sin that Adam and Eve committed was being independent from God. We were made to be totally dependent upon God. And they were drawn away by temptation, mm-hmm. which was found in their own hearts to be tempted. And they succumbed to the temptation of being an independent human being. Mm-hmm. And wow. God did not make us that way. Yeah. He and made us to be totally dependent upon him. Mm-hmm. And so down through the ages, he began to teach 
and preach and through Moses and through the law that this is the standard. This mm-hmm. is perfection. Mm-hmm. Can you live up to it? Mm-hmm. And man has never been able to live up to it. Okay. And, of course, we know that the Ten Commandments, uh, the first four commandments, mm-hmm. commandments, George, you can spout them off quickly, but I'm not going to ask you to do that. Thanks. I know. All I know is that the first four have to do with your relationship with God yes, in a yes. vertical fashion, right. mm-hmm. up and down from you on the bottom of the, mm-hmm. uh, standing on the earth, looking up at God, keeping the Sabbath holy, not taking the Lord's name in vain, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the fifth through tenth commandments are your relationships with people right. on the earth, your right. vertical, vertical relationships mm-hmm. with people, uh, keeping, um, um, uh, honoring your mother and father and murder and adultery and stealing and covetousness and so forth. These are all the, the remainder of the ten, and not right. one of us can keep those not ten. Not one no. of us can keep them. Okay, right. and that keeps us all off the mark and keeps us separated from God. Right. Okay, so the initial separate, separation happened in the garden, and then mm-hmm. our lives are a daily separation from God. Because right. we can't keep the commands, not no. one of them, not ten of them. Right. Every single day. We just can't do it. It's impossible because right. our human nature prevents us from doing that. So how do we get back into the good graces of God? There is a remedy. Yes, there is a remedy. And that remedy constitutes the greatest miracle that's that's ever happened. Yes. Exactly. And that would be the resurrection. Now, right. um, was Jesus really dead? Absolutely. He was nailed to the cross, okay? He was pierced for our transgressions. He died. Mm-hmm. Okay, one of the one of the theories that science and and secular humanists counteract the death of Jesus Christ by crucifixion with is what we call the swoon theory, where oh, well, he just passed out. You know, it doesn't matter that he was slashed and beaten and th- crown of thorns and the blood on his head, and he got run through with a spear in his side and all that stuff. He just passed out, and they put him in a cool cave for three days, and he he revived himself, and he was able to walk out. Okay, well, I wanted to reference, before the show closes, a scripture reference that I find to be very, very powerful, and it's uh, specifically John 19, verse 34. Now, this is written by uh, John, the one that Jesus loved, his closest disciple, and John writes this. Now, John is not a scientist, and John is not a physician, and of course, nobody knew what the circulation system was then anyway, or really how people died a death of crucifixion. But this is what he writes. One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Okay, now, if any of you uh, listening in the audience today saw uh, Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, this scene was very, very vividly uh, depicted. This sudden gush of water, okay, which typically is water that separates out from clot. Okay, it takes about 10 minutes for clot and blood to separate out. And that would indicate to me that his coagulation system had totally shut down and that he was in fact dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, heart failure can also give you that sudden gush of water and blood. Uh, and so can a spear going through the heart where the water would come out and separate from the blood. Uh, so these are, in my own mind, from a science and medicine perspective, an indication that Christ truly did die, yes. and that his the evidences of his walking on the earth later are clearly, clearly recorded and written about. Uh, you can read about that. You have been listening to faith, uh, Evidence for Faith. I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. Join us again next week. And remember, the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true. 